Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You're listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. Hey everyone, I'm Amanda and... Fun fact, my husband and I have a framed photograph of Tommy Wiseau from the room on our living room mantle. (laughs) She does. It's true. I've seen it with my own two eyes, and it's majestic. Also, I'm Santa, and I am developing a Squishmallow addiction. I'm currently sitting on two different Squishmallows to form a booster seat so that I can be tall enough for this mic, and... I have one here just because. <laughs> and that's awkward fact about me. I love it. We love to see it. I've had something in my eye the whole time that we've been trying to do this. Oh, no. Probably all of the eyeliner I decided was necessary to wear today. And I don't normally wear eyeliner because it irritates my so you're digging in your eyeball. Digging for gold and just smearing the eyeliner all around. You're like, where are you? And I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's for you, Mariah. <laughs> Mariah and I love to sing that to each other. It's a fave. It's a classic. It is. It's the classic emo jam. So we're here today to tell each other some stories that we haven't previously told to each other. It's our first time. So forgive me for yeah. when I wander off topic and end up somewhere on the astral plane. Hey, we're just two neurodivergent queens and yes. we're going to find our way. So Santa, what story has you shook this week? So my story this week is it's a very familiar tale to most Americans, I would say. It's a classic. It's about Sarah Winchester and her Winchester Mystery House, as it has come to be known, um, yes, in San Jose, California. That's my story. So would you like me to tell my story first? Yes, please go first. Great. That's going to be great for my anxiety, actually, for me to go first, <laughs> because then I can relax as you tell your story. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of us know this, the story that has been circulated about Sarah Winchester and Mm -hmm. many people have seen the Helen Mirren film about her as well. She's a very popular like household name. She was the wife of William Winchester who he owned the Winchester Repeating Arms Company which produced one of the first automatic rifles essentially that could shoot 15 bullets between reloads. It like revolutionized warfare at the time. They lived in New Haven, Connecticut, so they were up north, and they sold a lot of the rifles to the Union. And then, of course, it became known as the gun that won the West. Oh, I didn't know that. During our expansion West, and even a lot of Native American tribes were purchasing Winchester rifles. That was like their main weapon for defending themselves. Would this have been the weapon of choice if you were on the Oregon Trail? Yes. Could you have won the game? <laughs> yes, because fun fact, in, in my deep depths of research about this gun and this family, the original Winchester rifles, which I even know 
what that was. It was the 1866 Yellow Boy. That's the OG right there, the 1866 Yellow Boy. Hell um, yeah. That gun was actually made by someone who no longer works, work, someone who's no longer with the company. <laughs> yeah, he actually invented it, and the Winchesters somehow ended up with the rights. I don't know that it was fair, but they ended up with the rights to it. But yeah, so that original 1866 Yellow Boy, that was the OG. And then that one really wasn't powerful enough for hunting. So people on the Oregon Trail were actually complaining that it wasn't, that, that the early versions of their rifles weren't great for hunting. And so mm -hmm. they made some that were great for hunting. And then that became actually a weapon to have on the Oregon Trail to answer your question. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So they're probably good for shooting your eye out, kid. They're, they're good for shooting your eye out and killing people and winning wars or losing them and defending your family. And so needless to say, the Winchesters became very rich. How rich were they? I can tell you, actually. They were already well off, like both of their families, both Sarah and mm. William's family separately were pretty well off and they were considered part of high society New Haven. They grew up together and everything, but I will answer your question about how rich were they after I tell you some bad news. Oh no. So first of all, they had a very lovely, happy marriage and everything, but Sarah gave birth to a daughter. She mm -hmm. had a baby girl. She named her Annie. And only a few weeks after she was born, she died. She never had any more kids after that. She grew a really intense bond with her niece, Daisy, who I will, I'll come back to later on, mm -hmm. who I think she kind of saw as a daughter, but she never had any other kids. And then 15 years after the death of her baby, William died. Um, and he died of tuberculosis, but... In his will, he basically left everything to her, and he left her with Winchester repeating arm stock worth $77,000, which was a lot of money back then, and that paid her $7,770 per year until his mother died, and then she inherited $200,000 more dollars. So she, she just had a lot of inheritance coming in. She also had money coming in from the company that was still very valuable and profitable. Yeah. And she was on the board of the company still up until she That's died. Bad. So she that was, she was still getting money and <laughs> getting these coins, still getting money. But you know, she lost the two most important people in her life like she she had brothers and sisters too well she had a brother and several sisters but yeah she was widowed at a really young age it's such a weird concept it's like it's like the britney spears song she lucky <laughs> yeah she could have anything materially that she wanted but she couldn't materialize her husband yes. and daughter again. So it's said that in her grief, she sought out the guidance of mediums in her area and up north. And they say that she visited a medium in Boston named Adam Coons, who told her that she was being plagued by spirits. Yeah. He said Aww. he was basically like, 
you're being plagued by the spirits, all of the spirits that have been killed by the Winchester rifle. Oh, no, 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 no. Right. That's a lot of spirits. It's a lot of spirits. It's like everyone who died in the Civil War, everyone who's died in the Midwest, in the West, etc. Everyone who's just killed somebody with the gun. <laughs> Someone killed themselves. Tragedy of it all. Yeah. So he, so this Adam Coons character told her that she was being plagued by the spirits of all those who have been killed by the Winchester rifle and told her that she needed to move out West and continuously build on a house as an act of protection for herself. So she did move out West and the first property, I believe the first property she acquired was the San Jose house that we know as the Winchester mystery house. That property during her time was referred to as Lanata Villa. Ooh. Yeah. That's a lot of syllables. Lanata Villa or Lanata, Lanata Ranch. Cause it was a full blown, it was a ranch. It, she had, she was raising like fruits, vegetables, livestock. She had a whole operation going in addition to all of the building that she was doing. So mm -hmm. she did move there and she did do an extensive amount of building on that house. Like it was, it was pretty constant, the building for the most part. And then of course, another part of the legend with the house is that she conducted solo seances, like just by herself, solo seances in this room that was off to the side of her bedroom. It's this blue room. I did the 360 tour. I did the little virtual 360 tour and I toured that whole house and I saw the seance room. It looks like it could be a walk-in closet or a laundry room or something like it's not that oh it's gosh. not that big and it's not extravagant either it's just the the walls are painted white and blue but mostly blue and so that was her seance room allegedly and they say that she would ring a bell at midnight to summon the spirits and then mm -hmm. she would ring the bell again at 2 a.m to release the spirits back into the ether, I guess. Off you go there. Yeah. So she was just in there <laughs> allegedly doing seances alone, which is funny because it's kind of like those times that I did the Ouija board by myself. Oh, no. Which I'm not going to get into the details on that. But seances, I thought, were like a thing where you're using the energies, like not just your own. I don't know. It's like a communal. A seance is a... Group activity. Uh, you got to get a circle. I thought it have candles. <laughs> I thought it was a group activity, but I don't yeah. know. So yeah, she's known for these seances. And then creepy, another creepy fact about the seance room, which I found out in the 360 tour, is that there's only one entrance to the seance uh -huh. room, but there are three possible exits. So the oh one entrance is like through her room or outside of her room. And then... In, once you're in the room, there's a secret passageway door. And I don't know where that goes, but it's like a secret trapdoor type situation for a secret passageway. And then the other door just opens up to nothing. And then you're just like right above the kitchen sink underneath it. So you can't actually go out that door. It's just... Interesting. It's, that's just an example of some of the weird construction choices 
another thing that's weird about the construction of the house. I mean, there's a lot of things that are weird about the yeah. construction of the house, but notably there are multiple sets of stairs that lead to nowhere. Like literally you're going up the stairs and then you just run into ceiling. Is there a stairway to heaven? There isn't, Ta-da. but there would have been a stairway to heaven if she had not patched up the stuff that got destroyed in the earthquake, which I will get to shortly. Oh my gosh. There was an earthquake. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. There's doors that open up into just like thin air in the house. It's like you open the door and it's just outside, but there's just, just a huge drop. Those are the things that have always confused people about the house and made people think like, why would she do that? Yeah. She must be, she must have done that in an effort to confuse the spirits. And that's kind of what the legend is. The legend is that she built continuously and that she hired construction workers to work literally around the clock. And she paid a lot of money to these people to work around the clock, like 24 seven, 365. So that like- Did it drain her funds completely, you think? No. There was no drain. There was no drain in this woman's funds because she was a baddie. She had it like that. She mm-mm, don't come for her. Not a eight. What is it? Eighteen hundreds. Yeah. One thing about her. Hundreds baddie. She's got money put back. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> she came correct with the cash. Yeah, she's got money put back, and she's spending it on buying up properties because this wasn't this house. Like people always associate this woman with this house specifically as if she lived and breathed that only in her life and just was in isolation in this one and only house that her whole life. But no, this was not her only house. Can you guess how many houses she actually had? 47. Okay. No, not that many. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. She had five total. Oh, okay. Five total. No, she actually owned in her name more than five, literally was just constantly buying properties. And two of her properties, she actually, two or three of her properties, she actually spent years living in those houses while simultaneously doing the construction on the mystery house. Mm -hmm. And then her family members lived in some of the properties too. Like she was just always buying houses for her family to live in, buying houses for her to live in. A generous queen. She was a really generous queen actually, which also goes unmentioned a lot too. Let me just say, I was drawn to this story because I was fascinated by the legend of her being this odd, eccentric woman who talks to ghosts and builds on her house forever. I was like, that's cool. And I want to know more about it. And I just wanted to like deep dive into the actual paranormal stuff that was going on. But here on this first episode of Shook Paranormal Podcast, I have to say that I don't actually think from everything that I've read, I don't believe like any of these claims anymore. And I'm a believer. Wait, what, was this... Is this just based on all of the tea that was spilt in some of these books yes. that you read? Yes, I'm going to get into the tea in a second. I'm going to debunk all the stuff, but I have to let you and our one or two listeners at this stage <laughs> know that I went into this hoping for some real ghost tea, and I 
ended up just learning so much about this woman's life and how uh-huh. much more there was to her and her life than this one house that has been blown out of proportion. And I'll explain to why I don't believe the legend anymore as well. But I just wanted to let you guys know what the folklore was around it if you don't already know first. So that's so that concludes the actual scary part of my story. Question though. What happened when the construction on the house was completed? Because it had to end at some point. Well, construction on the house never was completed, but that leads me to But it stopped, right? Yeah. And that leads me to one of my first actual debunking statements, I guess. Mm-hmm. So a big part of the legend about Sarah Winchester is that she believed that if construction ever stopped and if they weren't constructing around the clock, then she would die. But she didn't actually have people working on the house around the clock 24 7 365. She actually took mm-hmm. years off of building at certain points. Like and construction never truly stopped because it was always something that she had projects in the pipeline for that house. She always was working on it. It was a project. It was, it's still considered an unfinished project really. But in 1906, that's when the big earthquake happened. And that is when a bunch of her house got destroyed. Also, there's conflicting it's conflicting on if she was even at the house when the earthquake happened too. Because some stories say that Sarah Winchester was in the house. They say she was in a room that's known as the Daisy Room, which is a room that has like a lot of Daisy details built into its architecture and the wallpaper. And also her niece's name is Daisy. So it was probably like inspired by her. Named after her maybe. And they say she was in the Daisy Room when the earthquake happened and that she got trapped underneath a bunch of rubble and that her staff had to get her out of there with a crowbar. Oh, no. That's what some say. But there's no no proof that she was there. But that's based on, like, correspondences between her and people. Right. During the time that the earthquake happened, she was living full-time at a different property. But she could have been there. Either way, she didn't get hurt in the earthquake, but her house did get pretty destroyed. Certain there was like a there was a tower that was like they called I forgot what they called it. There was a tower that was like seven stories high and that got destroyed. And so after the earthquake, another popular thing that people say is that she kept building immediately after the earthquake and and rebuilt everything. It was like, oh, I got to rebuild or else I'm going to die because of the ghosts. But actually she didn't rebuild anything, which is why we have stairs to nowhere because that, that earthquake basically demolished floors that were Mm -hmm. already there where the staircases led to. So instead of rebuilding floors of the house, Mm -hmm. she just put a ceiling there just to, just so it could be patched up so that the house isn't just gaping to the just gods, gaping wide you know? open. <laughs> gaping to the gods. Come on, rain into my house. So right. that's why there's stairs to nowhere. And then there's doors to nowhere as well that drop off into thin air outside. And that's because there used to be balconies there or there used to be rooms there where those doors led to. Right. And they just shaved it off. 
so that's lobbed off like an amputated arm that's like the big reason for that and then I really wanted the like psychic Adam Coons to be real I really did I at least wanted my boy Adam Coons to be real but there have been so many people that have tried to locate this person in the depths of history right. and no one can find him but I couldn't find him in a basic Google search, obviously, but actual ancestry people that have tried to trace him. Is there a possibility maybe him. that he was going by a pseudonym? Maybe? I think, I still think it's possible that she did meet a person by this name and that history has been spelling his last name incorrectly this whole time. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, I personally don't rule out Sarah Winchester going to see mediums. And she was a progressively minded woman anyway. Like she wasn't like super religious or anything. Like right. I could see her go in that route. I would. I'd be like, yeah, somebody give me some answers. Right. So that's believable to me. I mean, this whole thing was believable to me this whole time until I started reading the books. So I started you read a bunch of books, I feel like, about this. I did. I read, this is the main, this was my main source for the, for all of like the debunking biographical information about Sarah Winchester. And that's mm -hmm. Captive of the Labyrinth by Mary Jo Ignafo. This is a full biography of her life and her entire family's life as well. I learned a lot. And then there's good old nice. Sarah Winchester, My Neighbor by Edith Daly. Uh, this woman was her neighbor who was a, a huge gossip. And she would just kind of hang out outside of her house when she walked her dog. Cause Sarah had do not, or not do not disturb, but she had no trespassing signs like everywhere. Cause she did not want people to bother her. So oh this woman gosh. would just sort of like stand outside and judge her in her house. <laughs> and she, she throws so much shade at her mm. in this book. There's, there was one thing in particular that I thought was so funny. Oh, yeah. She's always trying to talk shit one way or another. <laughs> Something about the rambling, oddly constructed house at Winchester Place. Something strange and rather pathetic <laughs> set me wondering about the woman who had lived there for over 40 years. She was a recluse, in a sense of the word, unusual in our stirring modern times. No social life, no children, few relatives. Whatever lightness and joy entered her isolated life seemed to have done so by way of her constant planning and building. Da, da, da. Basically, this is how this woman talked about her in this whole book. Wow. In this whole book, she just refers to her. She's lonely, isolated, pathetic. This house is just, this house is just too much. It's too big. Like she was just, she's just a hater. She was just mad because she wasn't Sarah Winchester. She really. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. She really was just a hater. But yeah, those were my main sources on like the real information. And of course, I went to the Winchester Mystery House website and did the 360 tour. Yeah. And that was enlightening in terms of like how they're marketing everything. And seeing the house is amazing. I bet. But yeah. How many rooms did you say? 160. 160 rooms. Holy shit. Has, a, yeah, 160 rooms, 13 bathrooms, which allegedly 13 was her favorite number. Apparently that was part of the legend that was created as well. And I want to just go ahead and let y'all know precisely where this legend started because I have receipts. 
So she got the receipt. So the rumors of Sarah Winchester constantly building on her house out of superstition can be traced back to an 1895 newspaper article titled, A Woman Who Thinks She Will Die When Her House Is Built. Oh my gosh. And yeah, so that was the first instance in print and really anywhere. This is what really started the rumor mill that ended up just turning it into fact for everyone. So it was that article and then like many more came out. So let's see. I feel like I'm forgetting something. So I talked about how she didn't rebuild the earthquake damage. Oh, and also old Edith was saying about her being lonely, isolated, no friends, no family, no nothing. She was just really going to town with that. But actually, that's not true either. Sarah actually had multiple family members that lived around her. And yeah, her sister Belle came to live name. on one of her properties. Um, and Belle uh, is Daisy's mother, of course, oh, her okay. favorite, her favorite niece. She and just did a dollop of Daisy. Okay, that dollop was... of Daisy. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, it was great that she got a dollop of Daisy <laughs> because they they really were close for like her whole life. And Daisy Hello. even came to live with her at Lenata Villa, which is now Winchester Mystery House. She came to yeah. live there at the San Jose House. for. She lived there for about 15 years, maybe 15 years. I don't know. I may be wrong about the 15 years. But she lived there mm. for many years until she finally got married. And Daisy didn't get married until she was in her 30s. Yes, honey. Which we love to see, but at that point in time, society did not love to see that. You had maybe four months to live. Yeah. At that point. At right? that point. Like, going to get you. <laughs> yeah. But she finally got married. And so Sarah didn't really become as reclusive until Daisy got married, which was in 1903. But she had already been living there and having the reputation mm. of being a loner for a long time. And yeah, she didn't really like attention and she didn't really like mingling with society because one, I think she just probably thought it was like not interesting to her because she was genuinely interested in the architecture and stuff. Like she genuinely was into that because another thing I learned in my research is that her <laughs> father was a woodworker and oh. he had his woodworking craftsman business going on back in New Haven. And so she was raised around people building things her whole life. And then of course her late husband, William, was really into architecture as well. So it seems kind of like she was just doing something she was interested in and getting talked about the way she was because she was a woman who was doing it. A, right. a, a, a single woman doing it. Heaven forbid. And she did. She's not popping out 18 children. And she did wear mourning attire. Like, she did wear black all the time. Uh, That's an aesthetic I can get behind. Yes, it is. <laughs> so she wore the mourning attire, which included the gloves and the veil. And that's that's another thing. Like, she also was missing most of her teeth. So, what? And she also had really bad rheumatoid arthritis in her whole body, oh, but especially in her hands. And so she was really self-conscious about her appearance. And... That may be another reason why she wasn't really putting herself out there with social stuff as much. 
outside right. of her family oh, and close bless circle. her. That's so sad. Because, like, maybe if she wasn't so self-conscious, she might have put herself out there and gotten remarried or something, but she probably just felt fugly. Oh, no. Which I understand. I know how that is. So I totally get that vibe. You know what I mean? Of just being That's like, sad. I'm just going to do me. Bless her heart. And for that neighbor to be bitchy calling her a recluse, like, well, yeah. like, let her, I mean, can a bitch live, please? And Edith could never, like, <laughs> she... <laughs> Edith could never. Honestly, Edith, who even is she? We don't know her. We only know Sarah Winchester. So that's that. And I feel like there's some more little things that I should have said that I didn't say. Oh, I have go for it. so much. Let's see. Do, 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 do. I'm learning a lot right now. I hope. I feel like my storytelling has been subpar. No, you did so much reading, probably 10 times more reading than I did. Most of my stuff is going to come from documentaries and stuff. But like opening a book to read it is a feat for me. I mean, <laughs> it's it, a feat. <laughs> it is for me, too, because my attention span is very bad. That's but awful. that's why it took me so long to finish reading this book, because I started reading it like two weeks ago or something. Mm. And if I just sat my ass down and I could have read it in just one sitting, but no, no, no. But no. Oh, the further proof that the Sarah Winchester legend is farce. So after she died, all of her homes that she owned sold, except for the San Jose house. And... Ultimately, an amusement park promoter named John Brown leased the house from the bank with the intention of turning the property into a tourist attraction. And so his plan was to lean into the known lore of Sarah Winchester at the time mm -hmm. and just the rumors and speculation and just make it an attraction. Because back yeah. then, that kind of stuff was actually like really popular, like haunted stuff. Mm-hmm. And sideshows and like Harry Houdini type stuff, which Harry Houdini yeah. even visited the house once. And I have a quote here about when Harry Houdini visited the house. Oh, yes, honey. In 1924, the Browns, the amusement park people who just bought the house, invited Harry Houdini, the great magician and escape artist of the early 20th century, to visit the house. And he ended up endorsing everything and saying that he saw he basically ended up i don't want to read this he basically ended up saying he saw things to confirm that there was paranormal activity in the home even though he really was just like a magician and not like a ghost hunter i thought maybe he was a ghost hunter too didn't he die getting punched in the stomach harry houdini i thought he died trying to escape from the underwater thing Ooh, yeah, I don't, I don't... Didn't he die during that trick? It was like getting put into a safe underwater and he had to get himself out of the safe while he was underwater. Hold on. I, I thought that was to, how he died. I'm going to Michael Google that real quick. I'll let you know. All right. Oh, okay. So we were both wrong? How'd he die? According to Google, how did Harry Houdini die? Appendicitis. That's the cause of death. Harry Houdini, the most celebrated magician and escape artist of the 20th century, dies of peritontis. Perit what are words? And yeah, a Detroit hospital. I thought he got punched in the stomach. So see, he's another example of 
the yeah, just the lore, the lore of it running all. rampant back in back what? in that time because people needed the spectacle of that kind of stuff, you know, for with public I, figures and kind of makes you question a lot of things about how history has been recorded and yeah, perpetuated. Sure. But that's a story for another day. But yeah, so basically they bought her house and literally so she died in 1922 and Literally nine months after her death, her house was already having tours with this whole, like, with all the haunted marketing and everything. You texted me while you were researching this, and you specifically mentioned that you thought this case in particular was all about the marketing. Yeah. And that's where it got all its shenanigans. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. And and I say all this, like I said in my disclaimer at the beginning of my story was I was really going into this and I chose this story because ever since I was a kid, I've been like fascinated with it because I saw back in the 90s, I saw some, it was some A&E documentary or something, some TV little documentary thing talking about it. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool and so mysterious. And i I was all about it, all about the lore of it. And I still am. I still think it's cool. But in learning everything that I've learned about this woman, and I haven't even touched on everything in me talking to you. She, not only was she brilliant at Mm -hmm. architecture, like she literally drew the plans herself that she presented to construction workers to implement. She did all of that design. And she was a master of French, piano, violin. She was just a very well-rounded, multi-talented, well-educated woman. And on top of all that, she was like a massive philanthropist. First of all, she was always buying homes for her family to live in and giving them money to live off of. And then donating to different foundations all the time and then even back in I think it was 1909 yeah it was 1909 she decided that she wanted to donate I believe a million dollars to what is now known as Yale's New Haven Hospital she donated a million dollars to set up the William Wirt Winchester Hospital which was at the time a tuberculosis clinic because he died of tuberculosis, you know, Mm. and he was treated there. And so that was one of, that was one of the things she did like late in life. And that was probably her biggest donation, but she was always donating money and stuff to people and just really taking care of her employees as well. And Yeah, I don't know. I feel like personally, if I was Sarah Winchester, I would haunt the shit out of that house because... (laughs) Just because it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, oh, you're talking about ghosts. Like you want to talk about me and ghosts my whole life. I'll show you a ghost. I would, I would haunt the shit out of the people in that house. Cause this is my house, bitch. Yeah. This is Get out. my house. <laughs> I literally built it. Dang. Like, and yeah, that's what I would do for fun. If I was Sarah Winchester, I would just make stuff happen. But she was a very prideful woman, so honestly, Sarah Winchester, she would never do something like that. She would never give them the satisfaction of letting there be a haunting. Yeah, and that Edith bitch can step in a pile of mud. Edith? I don't care. 
Edith, Edith can eat a dick. <laughs> okay, was she can rude? tbh because she was rude. She was disrespectful, and literally on the day in her little book, she talks about how the day Sarah died, this woman with her little dog. Oh no! Knowing Edith, it was probably a Chihuahua. She literally just trespassed onto the property as soon as she found out that Sarah Winchester died. She walked over and she was like, "Now's my chance to see the house." And she just started walking through the garden. Just traipsing. Like, first of all, bitch, Sarah Winchester had... Wow. Sarah Winchester had not even been buried yet. Another fun fact, Sarah Winchester, because she wanted to be buried back in New Haven next to her husband and baby daughter, her body sat in San Jose for months, months, until it got transported to New Haven. Her sister Belle died. Her sister Belle died a little bit before she died. And Belle actually did get buried in a cemetery nearby. And then Daisy ended up having her, her mother Belle dug up and transported both her mother and Sarah at the same time. She rode in the train with them to go back to New Haven and have them both buried at the same time time it was crazy yikes it was some crazy shit but i will tell you there are a few little fun ghostly things that have been reported at the winchester mystery house so in 2013 during the last tour of the day the tour group stopped in what's known as the venetian dining room which was a dining room that's in like this italian decorating style and that's where Sarah usually ate dinners there's like multiple dining rooms in this house of course and (laughs) there was like this massive like brass chandelier hanging there above the table and there's a video of the chandelier just like swaying on its own and I have that video if you want to see it for a reaction let's see it so this is the swinging chandelier I'm watching the video she just sent me Swing in chandelier. Hell nah. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. I don't see anybody nearby. I can't ex- explain that. Yeah, like. Although it, is, it does look like somebody's peeping in the shadows recording. So yeah. maybe they went and went, huh, and then like bowling, and then they just ran back. That's the only thing I can think yeah, of. Yeah, like, well, they're recording through a window from another room. Oh, it looked like a banister. So like but maybe it wasn't prior to them hitting record, someone could have caused the back and forth yeah. of that. So that's one of those things that we can say, who can be sure? I can't I'm not gonna try to debunk that. And I'm not here right. just so everyone knows, I'm not here to try to debunk stuff. I just in this particular instance, I when I was being faced with the facts, I was like, well, it is what it is. It is what it is, but it was still a great opportunity to tell this woman's truth. And that's great. And then also there was another ghostly thing too about the house. Oh, so employees and guests both have reported seeing what's known as the wheelbarrow ghost, which is the ghost of one of Sarah's, or this ghost has been identified in a photo 
as being one of Sarah's landscaping staff members. And they've seen his ghost down in the steam alley in the basement, which is this corridor of like radiators and stuff. They see him like pushing a wheelbarrow down in the steam alley. And then they've also seen him fixing the fireplace in the grand ballroom. Those are like the places that he's been seen in the house by. So he's just out here working for free. Yeah, he's out here even in the afterlife. (laughs) He said, even in the afterlife, I got to go clock in. Okay, maybe she made a deal with him and just had this stash of eternal coins. It's like Bitcoin, but for eternity. <laughs> Ethereum? Uh, is that what one of them is? I don't know. Ethereum, I'm not yeah. A Bitcoin. Yeah, Ethereum. Ethereum for eternity. <laughs> Here you go, handyman. Keep it work. What I think... Push the wheelbarrow. <laughs> if the wheelbarrow ghost is r- real, which I, I do actually believe in ghosts and spirits, so... Me too. I'm not saying that he doesn't exist and I could actually see it because she really took very good care of her employees. Like she really did. She housed many of them and they were like a part of her family. And, and I mean, she kept the same staff members for years and years and years and years and paid them really well. And even in her will, she like left money for them like so sweet and wholesome yeah like she was just she was a badass and yeah just know that everyone we can have fun we can have fun with the folklore that surrounds sarah winchester but it's very important for us to also remember that she's probably like way more fucking badass than any of us will ever be in our lifetime. <laughs> and I know that's like shitty to say, but like it's facts. It's where's the lie. I'm impressed by her, especially me too. Considering how philanthropic she was and how big of a heart she seemed to have had, you know, in today's money, I, what is math? I don't know. She had so much freaking money and yeah. she could have been, she could have been up in her house hoarding the money and just not yeah. sharing the wealth at all. But and she said, she, no, and she I'm going to help. She could have not left anything to any of her family either. But she, in addition to the $1 million she donated to the Yale hospital, in addition to that, she also, she left like a $200,000 inheritance to her sister. Wow. A lot. To one of her sisters, I think it was, she left a $200,000 inheritance to somebody. And then, of course, she took care of Daisy. She set up trust funds for all of her nieces and nephews and all of the grandchildren in the family that were like her sister's grandkids and her brother's grandkids. Like every single person in her family that was still alive got money when she died. Generous queen. And, and all of her staff that like was close to her got money and everything and the I guess the last little piece of tea that I will give which this is kind of well-known tea I think but this is like the most I don't know it's kind of sad so after the home was purchased after she died there was a door in the grand ballroom that was basically like locked shut and 
they didn't have a way to get into it, sealed shut. And once they got the door open, they found a safe. And once they got that safe open, they found another safe. And inside the second safe, guess what was in the second safe? What was in it? Nothing much. <laughs> Just her husband's obituary and her baby Annie's obituary and a lock of her baby's hair. And that was all that was in the safe within a safe within a sealed room. Bender decided he wanted to join the party. Hi, baby. Baby Bender. He did, he did definitely steamroll my ending. He did. We got to try it again. It's okay. He literally jumped up on <laughs> my iPad. It's okay. Sorry. I feel like my story is like really long and was all over the place. But yeah, so no. that's, that's basically it. Like that's all, that's just like proof positive that that's all she cared about in her life was her family and she wasn't hoarding money in a safe or anything. Like, I think the only reason that she cared about money at all was to make sure her family was taken care of. Truly. That's so sweet. But, and, and to fund her passions because that's all she had to do back then. So in college, we studied communication slash journalism, right? And I think you had a journalistic approach here with this story. You went in looking for one thing. Yeah. And he came out on the other end with a wealth of knowledge that you didn't even know that you needed. I think that's awesome. That's true. I mean, I'm definitely like, I am, I'm not disappointed with how my story turned out. Like, I'm actually really happy to discover like this information that I did not know before about this person's life and that I took the time to learn more about this person's life and educate other people about her life and hopefully help with her legacy in that way. I don't know. But I was definitely hoping for more of the paranormal stuff to be like actually a real thing. <laughs> so Wait, did you say we can go visit today or is it gone? Can we like the Winchester? I know the virtual tour was up, but can we physically yeah. go visit it? Yes, we can. And I really want to. I oh, really want to go. That would be so much fun. Yeah. I, I feel like I need to bring a map. <laughs> oh, they got one. A compass. Oh, they got one. And um, I know my way around at this point because I yeah, did the 360 do. tour. <laughs> <laughs> we love a Matterport 360 tour. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, that was such a good story and you did a great job explaining it because I've, I have, I'll admit I've heard the story before, but you literally spilt tea that I have not sipped ever. Yeah. Tea I didn't even know existed. And a, a little tiny fleck of tea for the next episode. I actually, in my research for this story, I discovered what my next story is going to be about. And it is connected to this and there's a little, there's a little thread that does connect these two stories. So I'm excited about next week. Okay. Yeah. From now on, our stories are going to be secret. Just yes. I'm going to try not to guess your story. You won't guess it. 
I won't. Okay. Mm -mm. All right. Unless you did the amount of research that I did on this specific thing, you wouldn't guess Mm -mm. it. No. (laughs) No. There was a TikTok I saw. I I don't know. During the pandemic, making fun of some show. I don't know. I'm a millennial and I think I'm too old for this. But I think the girl (laughs) just turns into a mermaid whenever she gets flat with water. I I don't know. I can't do it. You did it. You did the accent well, though. Oh, no. Hold on. Real quick. Let me Google it and see. Oh, no. Cleo. What is that from? Oh, I found the TikTok. I know you probably can't see it on our video version of the podcast, but it's a show called H2O. Oh, (laughs) I know what that is. Ah, okay, well... Aquamarine. Yes, so mermaids are going to have to be a topic eventually, so we might as well do a deep dive into our Narclair compilation. Yeah, we do have to talk about mermaids at some point. That'll be in the future. God, mermaids. Mermaids is going to be an undertaking, because... That's a whole... A whole new world. It really is. It's a new fantastic point of view, because... <laughs> There's a lot of, I've been seeing a lot of videos on TikTok about mermaid sightings and the folklore that surrounds mermaids goes pretty deep too into like different cultures and stuff. So that'll be a big deep dive research one. I've seen a lot online about mermaids lately and you're right. It's a lot deeper than... I think any of us knew. It, it is. I feel like if we do mermaids, we might have to do it like either we both do like mermaid stories and take different angles or it could be like a two-parter type situation. If one of us does a mermaid story, it might be a two-parter because it might be just very long. Honey. Because <laughs> if you know... Because one thing about me, if you haven't figured that out by how I did this story, I'm going to go as deep as I can in the research because I don't actually know that much about all of these topics. Like I am very surface level with even all the well-known stuff. Like with Sarah Winchester, I was very surface level with my understanding of that folklore. And that's all I knew about her. And so it took reading a whole book and even fucking Edith's bullshit to get a better understanding. And yeah. No, I think it's awesome. I'm Uh, very convoluted. (laughs) I feel like not just your case, but my case too. I think we both undertook some pretty well endowed yeah <laughs> stories yeah so this episode i won't be surprised even after we cut it down i won't be surprised if it's one of the longer episodes um, which is fine because it's the which first... is totally fine we don't have yeah, at the here. end of the day we don't have a time limit i don't think do we no we don't is no, there no is there like a standard look i don't know anything is there like a standard podcast no, time limit that is suggested no. No, with the kind of content that we are bringing to the table, (laughs) I've seen podcasts 
anywhere from 30 minutes to almost three hours. It really just depends. And I know we haven't addressed what my topic is yet, but kind of to your point of you went into this with the surface level knowledge that you had. Yeah. And you found all of this information that you didn't even know that you needed to know. And your story, like I said, was very, you know, journalistic in that way. And I found in my story, in my research, it was like a spider web, if that makes sense. Everything, every little piece of information that I gathered splintered off into a million different directions. Yeah. And I know we had some delays with getting the first episode going. And in that time, I was like, well, if we're not recording, then I might as well read some more. Yes. And even today, even today, I still felt like there was so much yeah. more that I could learn. I felt that and way I went too. Various rabbit holes. I probably could write a dissertation about this one day if I ever have the time. But I, just for the sake of time I'm gonna do my absolute best to cut this down and I guess without further ado my story as you already know but won't know in the future is the phoenix lights yeah I know nothing I know nothing about this topic I'm actually not well versed with alien stuff so I'm excited ain't know nothing Well, before I get started with this story, I have to make a little disclaimer. My grandmother says, I reckon, a lot, and I started picking that up, like, semi-ironically, just saying, I reckon, after every every little thing, and I reckon. I reckon you ought to. (laughs) I reckon I ought to go down yonder. Anyway, I started saying I reckon, ironically, and now it's slowly become or rather suddenly become part of my regular vernacular that's, so that's my entire vocabulary is just stuff that right. I said ironically that I made a habit out of and now here we right. are I think <laughs> yeah that should be a disclaimer that half the shit we say is in jest yeah so <laughs> I don't know you'll figure us out after a while but we are a special breed of gal <laughs> uh, yes Yes, indeed. All right. Okay. All right. So, like I said, my story is the Phoenix Lights, also known as the Lights Over Phoenix. And this case, honestly, we it has something in common with yours. The number 13 will come into play. I'll touch Ooh. on that. But okay, so it was the most widely witnessed UFO phenomenon to ever occur in the United States of America history. More than likely, I think, you know, Roswell is very famous. There's a couple of other ones that are very famous, but this was the most widely witnessed event that we've ever had. March of this year marks the 25th anniversary of the event, which occurred on March 13th, 1997. Okay. Yeah, I was eight years old, like freshly had just turned eight, and I was completely unaware of this as it happened. However... I feel like I may have seen something about this on the original Gangster Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid. I have a very faint memory. Probably. It's it's not something that came up in my radar when I was researching, but I'm sure it's out there. The Robert Stack, old Robert Stack version of Unsolved Mysteries, not the new one. 
But anyway, so after 7.30 p.m. on the evening of March 13th, Mountain Standard Time, thousands of people witnessed strange red-orange lights hovering over Arizona in a V-formation. Some people described it as a boomerang shape. I'm not sure if you're able to pull up the drive, but I did include some photos I that show the, the very few images that exist out there. Yeah. All oh, right. episode one Let's... images. Oh. Yeah, there's lots of... A lot of them are duplicate shots, just screenshots from YouTube videos that I watched. But if you look at the imagery, which I'll post what I can online, I guess, on our social media, just because I think... There's been a lot of concern over copyright things, but we'll see what we can do. If if you want, you can just go online and Google Phoenix Lights and you should be able to see at least a few images that kind of show what this phenomenon looked like. So basically these lights that were hovering over Phoenix and surrounding areas, actually there was two separate events within the grander event, if you will. The timeline of the first event was starting at 7.55, Henderson, Nevada. People started seeing these lights. Followed by Paulden, Arizona, Prescott, Arizona, Phoenix, and then Tucson. So that whole timeline went from 7.55 to 8.45. And then later there was a secondary event around 10 p.m. Specifically over Phoenix where these lights were hovering at a super low altitude and a silent, some people described it as a craft, some people described it as multiple UFOs. Yes, it's unidentified. We don't know where it came from. It's confidential. It's <laughs> confidential. I can't tell you that. <laughs> anyway, the lights were seen by, like I said, thousands of people. They were seen by police officers, military personnel. A mystery pilot, which we'll touch on. Many, many civilians. The first call that came in through the National UFO Reporting Center, which was completely inundated with calls from witnesses, first call it came in at 8.16 p.m. And that first call came in from a retired cop in Paulden, Arizona, um, which is around two hours north, slightly northwest of Phoenix. He's the first one who called in and said, yo, like something's going on. I don't know what this is. And then there was another man named Terry Proctor who happened to capture some of the only video evidence that exists. And although that the video is pretty grainy, you can see that there's five lights in this B formation boomerang shape. Beyond those two witnesses that I just briefly mentioned, there are several key players in this story. One of them being the, at the time, Arizona Governor Fife Symington. He was the governor of Arizona from, I think, 90 or 91 until 97, the year of the event. Or events. The second important person, her name is Frances Barwood. She was a city councilwoman. She did not actually see this happen. However, she was approached by a reporter who knew about the incident and asked her a question about it. And Frances was like, uh, what? <laughs> Say what? Uh, what are you talking about? Because she didn't see it. And she told the reporter, let me get back to you. I've got a meeting. So she's somebody who was completely mocked. So she went to this council meeting and she asked for an explanation because everybody was talking about it around her. And she's like, yo, so what are these 
lights in the sky all about? And can we have an investigation looking into it? Because it seems pretty serious that, you know, hundreds of people around us saw these lights in the sky and nobody can explain where they came from. But someone stopped her and said, you shouldn't have asked that question. Ooh. Ooh, I got the chill bumps right now. You shouldn't have asked that question. What the fuck? Okay. She went over to Arizona Senator John McCain and also, I think, was in cahoots with Fife Symington, the governor, and asked them multiple times, like, hey, can we have a government investigation about this? The United States Air Force said they had no comment. To me, you say, we have no comment. That means, okay, what are you hiding? There, there's obviously something you have to know be hiding. Something. We already know. I will go back to Francis because during my digging escapades, I learned some shit. Okay. And Ooh. it's insane. Okay. Another key player, like I mentioned, is the United States Air Force. Luke Air Force Base is just 35 minutes from Phoenix, where the majority of these lights were seen. So the official narrative of what happened, given by the government, the United States Air Force, they had an explanation, first and foremost, for the second incident, what was seen over Arizona. And there were witnesses that said that this craft literally spanned over two blocks two city blocks and it just went over them like so many people saw this shit and the air force just came back and said oh no 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 that was operation snowbird and i'm just going to directly quote the little quick bit that i got from wikipedia on the official narrative of this incident and it says the united states air force identified the second group of lights as flares dropped by a10 warthog aircraft that were training exercises at the Barry Goldwater Range in Southwest Arizona. So what the hell does that mean? We'll touch on it. But basically, they said that they were doing a military exercise, and that's why the, why the people saw lights in the skies. Mm-hmm. They pretty much said that they were the aircraft were dropping flares. I whatever. That's the narrative we are going <laughs> with. That's the official T. It's the official narrative. Yes. Okay. So going back to the witnesses, Fife Symington, the governor of Arizona at the time. So Fife is interesting because he pretty much mocked this whole situation. He went and had this press conference because the people were clearly terrified they had no explanation for why they saw literal craft hovering over their freaking faces at night and they wanted answers and rightfully so so fife will later explain himself that he did this what what i'm about to tell you he did this to calm the public down because he was maybe also a little bit frightened and he just wanted there to be a little bit of damage control but basically he had his chief of staff come up on stage at this press conference addressing the people of Arizona and his chief of staff dressed as an alien and he mocked the entire situation, like completely swept it under the rug. Leave me the fuck alone. I'm not going to talk about it. It's bullshit. Don't believe the riffraff, right? Mm -hmm. 
I feel like I have seen a clip of that before. You may have. Yeah. And I think that was the one thing that when I was doing my research, I was like, this is freaking familiar. But here's the real tea. Years later, after the incident, Fife actually, can I call you Fife? <laughs> Symington came and he came out years later and he basically was like, yo, I hate to say it, but I actually saw the lights myself. And there's videos on videos of interviews of him saying, yeah, I saw it coming upon this crest or what have you. And researching witnesses, I stumbled upon a woman named Dr. Lynn Kitai. I first heard about her when I was looking at some of the local news stations. I saw her on the ABC 15 25th anniversary of events that was posted in March 2022, not too long ago. And in her brief appearance, I found myself going down a rabbit hole. I found out that she's actually really important in this whole story because she is a medical physician who literally risked her reputation. She saw these lights and several years after the fact, she went and made this documentary with all this footage that she had and interviewed all of these experts and things. And her shit won a bunch of awards at festivals. Like this documentary blew the fuck up. But what's interesting about her is not only that she's a doctor and a documentarian, but if you check her IMDb page, you'll find that she is an actress and she was in the movie, the very famous movie starring Nicolas Cage called Raising Arizona. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She played, I want to say Florence was the name of her character. Yeah, so that's a thing. There's a lot of people online that think that she told her story just thinking she was self-absorbed and that she wanted the story to be about her. But I don't know. She seems a little, I don't know. You'd have to watch the, the videos of her interviews and things. But I personally don't think that someone in her position, someone who's a doctor, a physician, would want to risk their credibility in that profession by spewing some shit like, oh, yeah, I believe in aliens, right? Another thing, there was a mystery pilot who was one of the first to call air traffic control and report that he had seen lights in the sky. Well, this person didn't come forward until years later. And... My source for this is actually uh, a Jimmy Kimmel interview because you won't believe who the fuck saw the lights. None other than Kurt Russell uh. <laughs> from The Thing. He saw these lights, called them in, and in the interview he said that at the time he saw it, reported it, didn't know what it was. He was with his son. They were going to visit his girlfriend or his friend or something. He saw the lights, reported it, went home, thought nothing of it. And then a couple years later, you know, Goldie Hawn, no big deal. His wife, a queen in her own rights. Not wife. Wait, I guess they weren't they married at the time. They've never been married. Okay. So any who's they, they are just forever boyfriend and girlfriend. Wait, unless they okay. eventually got married. But I think they're just doing the maybe. Maybe I fudged my research, but Dennis his part, we're going to say partner, his partner, Goldie Hawn at the time, 
She was watching something on the TV a couple years after this incident happened, and it was covering the incident. And Kurt came home, and he overheard the TV, and he was like, whoa, 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 what are you watching? And she was like, oh, it's this the Phoenix Lights. And he's like, holy shit, I was the pilot. I'm pretty sure I was the pilot. And he had a logbook of all of his travels that he did. And he went back, and the time matched up, and he was like, whoa, how the hell did I wipe this from my mind? And, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense that it, it never came back to me. That's that's crazy. So, I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. Like, why did he forget? Did he really forget? Did he actually see it? I think he did. I don't know. He named the actual aircraft that he was flying. And if that's official, then it's official. But, yeah, there were lots and lots and lots of witnesses. They all said the same thing. The initial narrative was that, like we said, they were flares that came from the United States Air Force. And I watched one documentary that showed flares being put up in the sky. And it's not consistent with the movement that you see on the video, the official video. So personally, I'm not really sure. I feel like I keep get getting off of... Francis Barwood and I got to get back to her because I have to quote something that she said. One of the documentaries, it was one of those things that I just so happened to find on YouTube. I'm not sure how this person got a hold of this video. It was literally captioned in a different language, but I don't know. Maybe it was bootlegged. I don't know. But this documentary showed Francis Barwood and she's telling her story and she says, and I quote, this whole thing has been a government cover-up I know firsthand. And she goes on to explain that there was a man that had contacted her. Because she's out here causing a fucking ruckus, trying to get these answers. And this man lets her know. He says, hey, I've actually got some high-quality video of this craft you can actually see the outline of the craft it's not just lights i've got the real motherfucking deal and she was really excited she said i'd love to see it well guess what it never got to her because two men from a black sedan he didn't recognize these men but they came up they knocked on his door they said hey sir are you so and so i heard you have a video that we need and he said oh do you work for francis Yes, we do. We do work for Francis. Do you have any copies of this video? And he says, actually, no. And he, they say, don't worry about it. We'll make extra copies for you. They drove away, never to be seen again. Francis, I guess, followed up later and was like, yo, where's the video? And he's like, whoa, what about these guys that came and get, got the video for me to give to you? She didn't send these people, so were they men in black? That's crazy, but also... He should have made a copy. Bruh. That's on you, bro. And you gotta have a backup for the backup. You gotta have a backup for the backup. When I saw that, I literally... I have this notebook. I wrote, OMG, OMG, holy shit. <laughs> like, I would... What the fuck? I wrote what the fuck all over this notebook. I honestly, Santa, I could go on and on about this, but 
because there were so many eyewitness eyewitness accounts. Even today, this was in 1997, I went on Reddit, I went on YouTube. There were people in the comments that witnessed this event themselves, and the response was overwhelming. Overwhelming in that, obviously, without a doubt, this happened. Too many people witnessed Mm -hmm. it for it to have not happened. The question still remains, though, what was it? Was it alien craft? Was it a government cover? Is it a government cover up for a different reason? Was it a secret military operation that another country was doing? Someone that's not our friend? Who knows? I I'm telling you, I went down the rabbit hole. There's so much information that I could give you, but it's just overwhelming at this point, <laughs> and we've been recording for a long time, so I'll stop there. But. I don't really know what I believe because I kind of want to believe that it's UFOs because that's just really cool to me. I think that's maybe less less terrifying than if it were somebody from another country trying to harm us or yeah, I don't know. What documentaries did you watch? Because I want to watch them. <laughs> I am glad you asked. I will link these for you. <clears throat> My sources. Oh, let's see. BuzzFeed Unsolved, Wikipedia, AE, Reddit and Reddit comments, YouTube and YouTube comments, Arizona Local News, Jimmy Kimmel Live, IMDb, a documentary that I saw on the History Channel, and then a, that random documentary that I saw on YouTube. Oh, one thing that I have to mention about the Phoenix Lights, it's so cool to me. This happened 25 years ago, and if you go back in the archives, you will see that this was was and still is a huge freaking deal in Arizona. So big of a deal that they celebrate the anniversary every freaking time. There's always a news segment about it. And not only that, but they have the EDM, like electronic music festival called the Phoenix of Lights. Course. And I watched a little video on YouTube of people getting down dressed like aliens, and it was pretty neat, and I kind of want to go. But I feel like if you're going to wear one of those costumes you don't want to be doing it up in the desert because you will literally sweat your taint off (laughs) yeah i'll just wear something that's glow in the dark (laughs) glow in the dark honey well that's my story i don't know if you have anything to ask or add to that but i know it was kind of a lot (laughs) no it wasn't it wasn't that long so i don't feel like it was an overwhelm of information I'm telling you, I've got 10 pages of just written notes that I could have gone into. There's probably so much stuff that I forgot to mention, but you get the gist of it. Yeah. You don't really know. It was just an event that happened that hasn't been yeah. proven or disproven yet fully. And and that's the it's thing about this. It's been explained away by the Air Force. Yeah, so... That's what gets me because no matter what UFO stories we decide to do in the future, it's going to have the same undertones of yeah, what is the government hiding? Obviously, they're hiding something, but what is it? And I understand that you can't have mass hysteria, and I know that they can't come out and say one way or the other, oh, yeah, it's aliens, because our world would literally go up in flames (laughs) yeah as if it didn't already go up in flames it would just go up in flames even more 
Oh my gosh, how did I almost forget the most insane freaking thing? Santa. <laughs> if I didn't mention this, I apologize. The official narrative, it was called Operation Snowbird. Okay. At the very end of the documentary I saw that talked about the men in black, I had chills, dude. The narrator at the very end was like, oh, in Operation Snowbird? Remember that? Yeah. In the military, snowbird means diversion. Oh. That's a very on-the-nose name to give it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. That's pretty much all I got. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you for listening. This is our first time ch even trying to record a full episode because it took a lot of technical setup and stuff and we did do tests but this was our first time hearing each other's stories and actually recording so we promise it'll get better from here yeah all right bye bye thank you so much for tuning into shook new episodes of shook drop every other wednesday on apple podcasts and spotify soon to be wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our show notes for more information on this week's episode, our social links, and more. Until next time, stay shook. Hey, do you have a personal paranormal encounter that you'd like to share with us? Visit our website, shookpodcast.com, to fill out our contact form. Or you can send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com.